Hello and welcome to another episode of a podcast yet to be named. We at Potsdam Media Group are fortunate to be able to talk to such amazingly talented, kind and inspiring people. Now sit back, relax, and come along while we get into more of what we love. That's the people. Let's go. Cast with um, no name. It is literally the podcast yet to be named. <laughs> Today we have Candy. Please introduce yourself. Hi, everybody. I am Candy. Um, a little bit about me, I guess. Um, I'm a huge plant enthusiast, and um, since we're talking about like religion, I think was it religion and stuff like that. Alternative religion and natural medicine today. All right, alternative religion. Um, since that, um, I am a um pagan, I guess you would call it. Um, and I also practice witchcraft. That's a little bit about me. And I'm happy to be here. Nice. Nice, yeah. nice. And then we have our other guests. Please introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Honest. Um, I am a medical student, um, currently just studying medical billing, um, to get myself into the medical field, but I've also been studying holistic medicine since about 2009, and, um, eventually will be studying either medical business administration or traditional Chinese medicine. Um, and I love the outdoors very much. Um, I would say that being outside in nature is my the closest thing to church that I could ever get to. So, yeah. Very nice. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. So, for those of you who do not know me, because, again, I'm usually that nice, quiet person that sits in the back corner, <laughs> I am Star, the co-host of said podcast. I am, was a sea witch, now am turned into more of a kitchen witch because I have been landlocked. <laughs> mm. Yes. So uh, most of my um, alternative medicines and um, spiritualities are mainly in the kitchen. I do lots of herbs in my foods and whatnot and try to infuse all of my good energies and everything else into the things that I feed people with. <laughs> mm -hmm. I can attest to this. <laughs> it's nummy. <laughs> I do I do frequently cook for other people so and um Miss Candy over here has eaten my food quite a few times. Mm -hmm. So, let's start off with a nice hard question to begin with. <laughs> because I'm just that kind of a dick. <laughs> so, some people believe that um, alternative medicine can be uh, combined with conventional medicine, right? 
Mm -hmm. Do you agree? Yeah. Why? Well, um, because when you're looking at health, you can't just look at one side of a person or the body. You have to look at the mind, which includes, you know, the emotional state, um, how you're using your body will affect not only how medicines affect you, but will affect your mind. And if you discount any one of those aspects when you're looking at someone's health, you're not getting a full circle, well-rounded, like 360 view of what can help, what can heal or hurt somebody. So like in traditional Chinese medicine, they use, well, they, they use techniques like acupuncture, Tai Chi, Qigong, and herbal products or foods to address an individual's uh, health care. All of those things are just as important, and they have to be done together. Because you're not just addressing the symptoms, you're also addressing what caused the symptoms. So I think that, and actually traditional Chinese doctors often will have um, an allopathic degree, or what is also like known as Western medicine, a degree in some kind of Western medicine, and they'll have their traditional Chinese doctorate degree. And that's because they have recognized that you need both, both forms of healthcare to help some people. For instance. Um, I, I agree. Um, before the, I guess, modernization of what we call healthcare now, with all of these prescriptions and stuff like that, people back then, they didn't have that. What they had was herbs plants you know nature stuff like that and i guess this is you know where i'm coming from i i think that yes that is great and this modernization with the healthcare industry is also great but a lot of pills and stuff their basis is plant-based stuff mm -hmm. so why not incorporate both of those together use them conjunct in conjunction with each other so yeah, I, I mean, I agree too. I think yeah, I think that the modernization of medicine has it, it's helped us in one way in that you know we're we're able to treat things that haven't previously been treatable as they are using the same molecule setups as most plants you know, and combining them together so that they create a medication that'll work for people. But I also think that it's hindering us in that people are forgetting that that's where it came from originally, not using those resources that we have everywhere around us that are 
totally free <laughs> and they're they're relying too heavily on a medication that only treats symptoms but doesn't actually treat the problem mm-hmm. i also have to agree with that that's really well put so yeah i i think that there's been so much that has changed since like the industrial revolution with with medicine um, and I mean, if you really want to go far back, like the medicine women and the shamans in tribal cultures, you know, they had that knowledge of herbs, what they looked like, which parts to use, where to find them. And back then, you know, that kind of knowledge would travel like wildfire and there are some herbs that went completely extinct um, because of overuse because everybody knew where to get it and there wasn't a concept that was adhered to in a lot of um, you know large like tribal or you know town cultures that you need to keep some of what is there so that it can continue to grow. Um, but then as colonization kind of took over and um, the rebranding of pagan religions into more organized religion, like um, Roman Catholicism and you know, the stuff that kind of came about with the Crusades, they, those people in power picked and chose what they wanted to indoctrinate. And along with that came the removal of the shamans and the medicine women and, or people and um, removing the ability for people to get that knowledge. And so once we hit the industrial revolution most doctors were men and you know not to make this like a topic of sex or anything but there is only so much that typical masculine patriarchal people can really understand about nurturing and healing and that is an energy of itself too it's not just specific to a man or a woman anybody can have that patriarchal like kind of astringent way of viewing access to your own health and around the turn of the century during the industrial revolution you had that sterilization and people were being lobotomized and tortured and we were still employing remedies that use mercury and um, you know really just based off of anecdotal evidence and the thing about science too is you know a lot of it started out as anecdotal evidence and then with enough trial it became the the results became consistent enough to be considered true and factual and that's, to me, that's where I see, like, 
Western medicine, allopathic medicine being born out of is like taking something, sterilizing it, making it a product that you can sell that other people don't have and, you know, controlling the money part of that. I mean, it kind of ties into capitalism as well, that if a certain area has access to this one special thing that everybody wants and needs, then you have a lock on that, you control it, and you're going to profit the most off of it. Um, when it comes to now, especially like in our country, a lot of people are, um, it's so polarized, medicine is so polarized, you know, you have people that are stringently against vaccines and other people who are stringently against herbs. And I think at this point, the biggest thing that people need to be looking at is their emotional and psychological associations. Um, one big thing that I have enjoyed researching is like placebo effect. And some people would argue that things like vitamins and herbs have more of a placebo um, application because doctors will prescribe and, and it's considered an alternative medicine um, in what I've read from allopathic doctors. So, you know, you have Western doctors that are prescribing vitamins without taking blood tests to determine if someone is actually deficient um, or they're prescribing homeopathic remedies when there isn't any like FDA approval for homeopathic remedies. But the thing about those is I would hazard that those patients who are taking homeopathic remedies and taking vitamins really believe in the power of those things to heal. And in placebo studies, um, if for a study to be approved by, the, or for a drug to be approved by the FDA, um, the best way to get that approval is to have like a double-blind placebo study. And you have to have a margin of improvement between patients of like 10 to 20%. So like they take a placebo, you have your two test groups. One test group takes a placebo, one takes the actual medicine. If there is a 20, 10 to 20% improvement between the placebo and the, the drug, then the drug can be approved by the FDA. In studies where there isn't that much of a difference between a placebo and the drug or the placebo and a homeopathic remedy or a vitamin or an herb, um, there is still improvement seen, but it's not enough to be approved by the FDA. And so there's a lot of... Um, speculation and placebo studies that the healing that is being experienced in a placebo test group has more to do with the quality of care or attention or the environment that the patient is experiencing. Hmm. So, like, for instance, um, 
Placebos are used a lot in studies for pain relief. And I actually, they're, they're used in studies for pain relief, insomnia, anxiety, asthma, um, even some like autoimmune deficiency uh, diseases or, or issues. And the, the ritual of like swallowing the drug, the setting with the doctor, the level of faith or esteem in the office that you're in um, has a marked quantifiable effect on a patient. And that's why, you know, you can have people who are taking prescribed Western drugs and it may do nothing for them. Mm -hmm. Part of that is going to be their physiology. Part of that is going to be the trust the level of trust and respect that they feel coming from their medical practitioner. Some people are so afraid of doctors, they're going to go and take homeopathic remedies instead and vitamins and, you know, look up ways to, um, you know, just be healthy regularly. And I think that a lot of people that are trying to avoid going to a traditional doctor are going to research more things that are going to improve their overall quality of life. So you have to take that in, into consideration too. A lot of people that are interested in alternative medicine have either been let down by Western practitioners or they just want to be in control of what is happening to them. And so they take initiative and are seeking out other ways to feel better. And that can include like looking into yoga, looking into meditation. Those are things that are also in traditional Chinese medicine or Ayurvedic medicine, which in our society are not considered like the gold standard for medicine. But in the countries where those are employed, if you're getting a doctor that has an, uh, like a real Ayurvedic degree or a traditional Chinese degree, medicine degree and they have the Western medicine degree as well, you are getting a highly esteemed practitioner. And these people, you know, those cultures still very much trust in herbs and having a calm mind and stretching your body and using your body in ways that they don't get used regularly. And those are all considered very important aspects of their health regimen. I think that, I think that the systematic removal of empathy from modern slash Western medicine is a humongous downfall that um, they have employed. And ta taking that out of medicine and putting a more like you say sterile and just I, I it's so unemotional that it, it mm -hmm. almost feels to me that they're not caring about the actual patient themselves they're putting themselves more towards what's the bottom line going to be what's what what am i going to get paid for this service is this going to be worth my time 
or hey let's actually fix the human yeah Yeah. i I agree and like now that's i'm gonna just call it like big pharma because like big pharma runs modern slash western medicine they don't care about the patients or the person's they don't actually care. They're just looking for their paycheck, pretty much. But when you come across those people that believe in alternative medicine, alternative remedies and stuff like that, that are willing to be like, help, those are the people that actually care about human beings and another person. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, those are the people that everybody around us in our culture here are snuffing their nose at and saying, oh, well, they're just like some crazy hippie that likes to live off and <laughs> a, a bus by the river or whatever it is. And in all actuality, it's somebody who's practicing things that have been around longer than their stupid, sterile modern medicine has also been. So, No, I, I agree. I know wholeheartedly <laughs> happens. I mean, like, I live around a bunch of churches and, like, if they find out, they... I know for a fact, like, my neighbor across the street snuffed their, you know, and pretty much was like, mm, well, how do you do that? Why don't you just go to the doctor kind of thing? Mm-hmm. So, it yeah. Yeah, and I think, like, I have um, had friends from other countries, like, first world countries um, that have socialized medicine and insurance, and I, I've think that big pharma is really exclusive to the United States because these other countries put caps on what a prescribed medication can cost and they put caps on how much a medical service can cost and here we have just taken medicine and capitalized it to the nth degree and you know that's kind of what's been happening for a long time anyway with most of our capitalistic culture. I mean, there's, there's hardly any caps on what someone can make. That's why we have, you know, lots of billionaires and millionaires just hanging out. And you have places like Flint, Michigan that are still drinking out of lead pipes. Um, so we have things I, I like our government taking away the animate and autonomy of women and forcing us back into the 30s basically yep yeah i i (laughs) oh my gosh i have so many so many thoughts on that and (laughs) when like i funny enough yeah um sorry funny no you're good if we're talking about that for a second, it's not just about, like, that whole thing wasn't just about, you know, women. It was about, like, HIPAA. It, HIPAA was involved with that as well. And we just gave the states the rights to look at our, our Medical health. Medical information. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And they can, employers can choose whether to hire you, hire you or not if you are mentally ill or, you know, you have this ailment that you didn't have to disclose, now you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to say that that's only happening here would 
definitely be inaccurate. And it's something that, you know, we've had access to modern medicine for like 120 years-ish, 100 years. Um, you know, that's not a whole lot of time when you're looking at the span of human culture and evolution. And we still have a lot of things to work out. Mm-hmm. But I think that the polarization of medicine is what is really keeping us from opening a lot of doors to better health care for everybody. And also, you know, scientific studies. Like, um, you know, there was that big thing with the CBD and seizure patients, particularly kids. And there was, there were not really any studies that were done on the effects of CBD and like weed tincture basically on seizures versus seizure medication. And it, and it took someone deciding to fund a particular study um, for pediatric anti-seizure medication doing um, a double-blind placebo study so that a certain medication could be approved for pediatric seizures. I think it's called uh, Epidiolex or something like that. It is, it is a CBD-based pharmaceutical drug, pharmaceutically produced drug that is for pediatric seizures. And that didn't, that wasn't just going to happen for us. You know, like we get the vaccine for COVID in less than a year, but alternatives for pediatric seizures, you know, that takes petitions, some private funders to get a study going and a bunch of anecdotal evidence. And a lot of people want to discount anecdotal evidence when it comes to like correct medicine or like true medicine or true science. But anecdotal evidence really does have a big impact if enough people are experiencing the same results. Um, You also have like mushrooms. You know, it's coming out a lot. Um, Various kinds of mushrooms have so many benefits, you know, neurological benefits. Uh, Turkey tail can reduce the size of breast tumors. Lion's mane can insulate, like help insulate nerves and um, and just like improve the functionality of nerves. And there aren't a whole lot of studies going on with these, but the studies that are going on are small. They're, they're not funded very much, but they're super important to the health and longevity of people. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Paul Stamets, um, but he's, he's that guy that wears the mushroom hat. Have you seen that guy? Yes, I have. No, yeah. I have not. <laughs> so, admittedly, I think he's kind of, you know, I don't really know what to, what to say. I don't know him personally. I've just read some of his stuff and seen some of his TED Talks. Quirky is but, a good word. Eccentric? Yes, that is a good word. Very I like quirky. I, I do, and eccentric could could suit him as well, I think. But his mother was part of this um, study by 
let's see. It, it's a study that you can find on the NIH.gov website. Um, it's Tremides versicolor, which is the turkey tail mushroom, and the treatment of breast cancer. Um, Paul Samitz claims that his mother was too old to actually have chemotherapy. Um, so she got on this clinical trial and started taking the turkey tail mushroom like four, four doses four times a day in conjunction with some other kind of pharmaceutical cancer treatment that wasn't as harsh as chemotherapy. And she became completely cancer-free without chemotherapy and without surgery by using the drugs that were prescribed to her and this turkey tail. And the, the study, the, the Tremides Versicolor and the treatment of breast cancer was done in conjunction with um, certain chemotherapy drugs and the turkey tail. And what they found is that the turkey tail improved the immune system of the patients so that they could better handle the effects of harsh chemotherapy treatment and it helped to reduce the size of tumors. Now if we were able to use some of our tax dollars to help fund research into herbal medicine or alternative medicines, it would not only, I believe that it would really reduce the strain on our healthcare system because this is stuff that people can grow in their backyards or in their kitchen window. I mean, maybe not the mushrooms, but there are other herbs that, that people can use to help keep themselves healthy and help with different ailments. But it would also create jobs. You know, more people would go into scientific research. Um, you know, just like with the military, there are all kinds of ads that go out for those. They start like getting kids right when they're about to graduate from high school and trying to get them to sign up. There's tons of money that goes into that. And we could have that same kind of aspect going into scientific studies and research for herbs. And it would also, you know, help with this polarization that we have that I feel like it's infiltrated almost every aspect of our culture. But I'm more focused on how it affects medicine because how you are healthy affects your quality of life and that affects your relationships and that affects how long you live. And people who are too afraid to drink some tea when they have a headache and would rather go and spend time at the doctor and get a $50 prescription for medicine that may help some, but won't really address the issue at hand. It's, it's not even just, you know, that people are afraid of exploring something else that might help. It's that they don't have the power to decide on their own health and no one is encouraging them to do that. Their doctor is not helping them explore those avenues. And, you know, like you said before, it's so impersonal 
going to the doctor because it's just their job. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, our emergency responders, if someone dies in their care, that's just the job. You know, they're not going to get fired because someone died on their watch because maybe some air got into the IV or maybe someone who should not have had a a particular pharmaceutical drug died because they had a terrible adverse reaction to it. And that's another thing that in the polarization of healthcare talk in our country, we don't talk about the difference in physiology. We pretend or think that we know that everyone could take the same drug and it would work just the same way. And that is so counterintuitive to science and medicine because everybody's physiology is different. That's why I can't go and give blood to you if you need it and you wouldn't be able to do the same to me unless we had the same blood type. Certain antidepressants are not going to work for everybody. Some medicines like that, some antipsychotics are not going to work. You know, for some people it won't work at all. There won't be any Western medicine that can help someone. So I, I think that the true empowerment that I'm seeking in our society and for myself is to have that balance between, you know, medicine from the earth and medicine that has been extracted from things from the earth and concentrated. Like, I love our world with antibiotics. I know that some people can't take them, but most people can handle them, and I love that. I would not want to live in a world without antibiotics, for sure. But I also love being able to go outside and, like, pick some plantain or, um, what is it called? I think it's called fleawort in some places off of the ground. If I get stung by a bee, like a sweat bee or a wasp, I can just go pick some of that, chew it up, and put it on my skin. The swelling will go down. The pain will go down. I didn't have to spend two hours at the doctor. It's not going to get infected. And if it does, you know, I can just run some hydrogen peroxide over it later. You know, it's that balance of modern medicine and ancient medicine that we really need to meet at an impasse. Now, we're far enough into modern civilization that we shouldn't be able to combine those things together. Makes sense to me. So kind of to to uh, switch gears just a little bit, um, I actually had a really, another really profound, strong question. Because to <laughs> this, what I do, um, what does the term alternative spirituality mean to you like what what does it what does it do to your your just what does it mean to you first of all and then i'll think about how i'm going to to word the next part of it (laughs) okay um so not gonna lie when Lily told me, well, asked me if I wanted to talk about alternative medicine and spirituality. I had never heard the term alternative spirituality. Um, To me, you have 
like religiosity and spirituality to me. Um, so I looked up some stuff on alternative spirituality. My understanding, I think, is that it is basically anything that doesn't fall into Christianity or like the variations based off of like Judaism, Christianity, Catholicism, um, what, what is the other one? Muslim religion, because those all kind of come from the same writings. Mm -hmm. Like in Muslim uh, religion, you still have Allah. And if you go back um, and look at the old iterations and translations of the Bible before the King James Version, um, Jesus is Isis, because um, Jesus was a new construct that was introduced with the King James Version of the Bible. Um, so many things were rewritten. The angels were called the Elohim, and it was like a, it was, if I remember correctly, because uh, I was using the Strong's Concordance to translate Greek and Hebrew into, you know, English. But the Elohim were either like a godly group of beings or a singular being. And it depended on the context, which one they were talking about. And then you also had a different word for a singular God being that was separate from the Elohim. So like the Judaism, Muslim, uh, religion, Catholicism, Christianity, all of those to me kind of came out of the same origins. Well, technically so, speaking, technically speaking, the Muslim, um, what is it? The, the Quran or the Torah? Yeah. The Muslim Bible essentially came from a son of Moses, where the Christian Christian Bible also came from a son of Moses. It was just two separate sons that had split and gone separate ways. And essentially they are basically saying the exact same, same thing because they came from two sons of the same person. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know that. I mean, I'm. it's been a long time since, gosh, like 13 or 14 years since I have studied any of that. Yeah, it's been um, years and years and years for me since I've gone into any kind of Christianity or organized religion. But, same. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Um, I broke away from Mormonism years and years and years ago, and um, I found, you know, what I guess we consider alternative religion or spiritualism. Um, and I just feel more true to myself. I feel like, you know, this is actually something I believe um, versus what um, is very mainstream, I guess. I guess you would say is mm -hmm. very mainstream. Um, and I guess, like, my answer to your question, Star, would be um, I think that alternative religions are you know, religions that are seen as taboo, that aren't well known, um, and they're not mainstream. They're very frowned upon because people don't take that time 
to research, to learn, to understand what these religions are, they think that their way is the only way. Now, I personally don't believe in Christianity, my personal belief, but who am I to say that what they believe is wrong? Whereas they mm -hmm. shouldn't say that to what I believe in. I just don't agree with that. I mean, mm -hmm. my my husband brought up a good point last night in that he said, um, you know, when when the Bible was originally written and in one of the first chapters of the Bible, it specifically states that, you know, God said we're going to make them in our image and they're going to be like us, which <clears throat> in a sense would be saying that there was more than just the one. But mm -hmm. that's one of the things that Christians like to breeze over because it's part of the Old Testament. But it's like, um, but that's part of your book. That's part of your religion. And if you've done the research, then you would know that this is actually a thing that's in your Bible. Just like them saying that, um, you know, gay people are horrible and, you know, women shouldn't be part of anything. Whereas women are revered in sections of their Bible and... There's whole sections that talk about how it's okay for men to get together with other men. It's mm -hmm. just, it's not something that they want to believe because it doesn't fit their religion's bottom line. Exactly. Yeah, I, I absolutely <laughs> agree. 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and so, oh, well, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask, so what was your guys' actual, like, deciding factor on going into a more non-traditional as opposed to a mainstream religion or spirituality? So, so I've kind of always been drawn to, you know, paganism, like, the elements, the earth, like, I've always been kind of drawn to that. And I guess, like, that deciding factor was when I was, oh, God, maybe... 13 or 14, I was forced to go to church. I was forced to go to the Mormon church and it wasn't something that I actually believed. And, you know, as a teenager, I started rebelling. I started acting out and I distinctly remember my mom's um, husband. We're just going to say his name is Jorge. Um, I distinctly remember him saying that I was a devil child and that I needed some Jesus in me and I needed to go to church and I said, no, fuck you, I do not. And, you know, I just, I kept getting this draw to um, witchcraft. And then that was where it started. And then I, you know, I was researching it. I researched Wiccan religion. Um, I found that that wasn't for me specifically. And then I just kind of kept researching and researching until I found paganism and that was kind of what led me into it. Hmm. Um, for me, my dad actually went to Bible college. And he's a boomer, too. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he was in this religious cult called the way which is where he met my mom 
and they had me, but they got out of this cult around the time that they got married, I think. Um, and my dad, I remember going to church a little bit when I was a kid, little, little. Um, but my dad eventually just decided that he didn't like how the churches we were going to were run. So he was going to teach us at home. And eventually my parents got divorced and my dad just really felt like he needed to teach us, you know, how to be godly people. And uh, I don't know exactly if he was like this before. This is, was just hiding and lying in wait, but he would literally spend three or four hours reading Bible to me and my brother. We'd have to raise our hand to speak. And we were still going to public school, too. So mm -hmm. on top of the expectations of, you know, being a child in public school, having to sit there for hours at a time and listen to him read the Bible and basically, you know, all of the stuff that comes with that guilt, reprimand, you know, if we didn't fill the dishwasher right, it would turn into hours long lecture that included, you know, Bible talk and reading the Bible and oh God, my dad would even speak in tongues to us sometimes. And I, at one point, I think I was 13. I had read um, a book about anarchy for kids. <laughs> I told my dad that I wasn't sure if I believed what he believed. And so then he stopped tucking me and my brother in at night. He stopped spending time with us at night. And he kind of shunned us, both of us. And my brother, you know, he went and asked my brother how he felt. And my brother is two years younger than me. So he really had no idea what to say. And my dad took it super personally. And that was kind of the beginning of a slow and steady demarcation between us. And I remember um, losing friendships over still trying to cling to this idea of Christianity in the, the mind, like in the space of depression and like teenage angst trying to use Christianity to help my friends feel better, but completely isolating myself in that way. And I just, I was not having good experiences with it. And, you know, I would pray for a while, you know, and they would go unanswered. Like, for me, I just don't think that I was made for organized religion, period. Um, I it wasn't that I decided that I wasn't a Christian. It was just like, I realized that it wasn't for me. And I have still had friends who are Christians and, you know, my family, some of my family obviously is, is Christian. And I really, I took good things from it. You know, my dad did teach me and my brother how to speak to one another and how to speak lovingly and how to handle arguments lovingly and about unconditional love. And I've been able to use that stuff in my life now and also still have working relationships with people who are in organized religion and still be able to have good conversations with them um, and respectful conversations. But I just, 
It's just not for me. I'm, I don't really consider any kind of religion to be something that I can subscribe to. Um, spirituality to me is what, if I ever am talking about religion, I always tell people that I have more of a spiritual inclination and I don't put a label on it whatsoever because it just doesn't work for me. And I like being able to explore other things without being tied to it. Makes sense. I think, I think the idea that Christianity is what is giving people the morals is an incorrect idea. I think that the personality of the people who are teaching it to you is probably more in line with what is teaching you to speak with people lovingly and to have good relationships and everything of that nature. Because I can honestly say that as a person who grew up in a Roman Catholic family, my my family was mean. My family is horribly mean. And I'm not. I'm actually a really very nice, caring, loving person that will speak to people with respect and the dignity that I think that they deserve. And I am like... Let's put in, for instance, yesterday. Yesterday we were driving home from somewhere and I saw a cell phone sitting on the side of the road and it had a picture of a of person's child on the front of it and it clearly had fallen off of the top of their car when they went around the curve by my house. And I told my husband, stop the car. I'm going to pick this up and we're going to take it home and we're going to wait for somebody to call and see whose phone this is, and then we're going to return it to them. And I think that is not something that anybody in my family would have done. They would have just thrown it in the drawer, thrown it in the trash, or they probably would have kept it for themselves and tried to do something with it. And they're Roman Catholic. They're supposed to be, like, the hierarchy of Christian religions, and I didn't learn that from them. I should yeah. have didn't learn that shit from them. <laughs> like... I am a complete opposite of everything that I've ever been taught. And it had nothing to do with the religion. It had everything to do with, you know, putting myself into situations with people who actually had a care and a love and an empathy for other people. Yes, yeah. Great. So um, I'm kind of going to piggyback off of you. I think that that's the big thing is the golden rule, you know, and that's not, it, I don't know if it comes from, like, a religion. I don't think it does. But the golden rule is such a huge thing. That's, you know, do unto others as you wish they do to you, you know, um, yeah. which is fantastic. And then another thing is um, I don't think, just like, you, and I have to agree with you, I don't think that you have to be a Christian or a Roman Catholic or, you know, mainstream religion or I don't think you have to be religious at all to instill manners or to have, you know, those manners and those morals because take, for instance, my son, right? He is, um, well, I'm just going to say he's three. He's almost three. My son is three, yet I have been teaching, you know, those morals and those manners and, you know, and I mean, Star can vouch for this. He is a very well-behaved, very well-mannered very kind young boy yeah i mean he's got his moments 
He's got a little toot in him, but you know. Oh yeah. What what three year old doesn't have a toot? So right. But generally, I mean, he's very you know. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. He respects his elders, you know, for the most part, because terrible twos, trouble threes. So, but for the <laughs> most part, he is very, you know, he has those manners because I do want to instill them into him, regardless of what religion he chooses or doesn't choose to practice. If he, you know, like if he chooses to say, mom, I want to learn about what you're doing i want to learn about why you're giving these offerings and to who i'll be more than happy to tell him but i would never force that on him as i don't think <laughs> any religion should be forced on somebody which is one of the big issues that i have with mainstream religions mm -hmm. yeah, yeah that's, like that's a big one for me on too well, wait, what? <laughs> I said, I'm not a fan of having people come knock on my door and trying to give me pamphlets and Bibles and everything else and trying to force their religion on me. So I wouldn't, ex I, I would expect people to treat me the same way that I would treat them. I don't force my religion on other people. I tell them what I think. I tell them what I believe. And I don't have a problem telling people what I believe, you know, that, that I'm, I'm, pagan i'm polytheistic i believe that there are more than one god up in there and mm -hmm. i i believe that you know the the earth has a huge impact on everything that we do and i also believe that the earth threw COVID at us because they're like the hell's wrong with you people <laughs> you're I, you're destroying yeah. me <laughs> let's, let's i agree with you off. <laughs> I absolutely agree with you. And funny enough, I said that when COVID first hit, I said it's because, you know, people are taking for granted all these things. And the Mother Earth was like, mm, fuck you. Watch this. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I've really gone back and forth with religion. Um, like I've. For a while, I demonized it, and I and I felt like religion was really just for people that didn't have the gumption to be responsible for their actions and their thoughts. And I I still feel that way to a certain degree, um, but it's not as as aggressive as it was, you know, ten years ago. It's more like I recognize that any kind of organized religion, whether it's mainstream or not, there are a lot of good people in those circles and they're, they're seeking out an organized establishment, not only to find camaraderie and like minds, but they're also getting that, that socialization that's so important for us as humans and the psychological benefits of being with people that you know are going to support you, you know, cause church, church groups, that's a whole community. You know, they have potlucks, they have interventions sometimes, you know, if it's a good one and they're always supporting each other's kids and having family events. And I feel like that is really important for humanity. And like, me and my partner, we were actually talking a couple of weeks ago how 
interesting it would be to have like an atheist church where people had those potlucks and they got together and talked about, you know, what they believed in and had that camaraderie and that community that is missing from so many places in our society. Mm -hmm. Um, And that kind of also goes back to like the psychology of well-being. If you feel like you have a community around you and people who want to care for you and, and help take care of you, you know that no matter what happens, you're going to ha- be taken care of to a certain degree. And that's where a lot of faith comes from in religion and why people who are religious can feel so content with their lives, believing in the great sky daddy or whatever, or the spaghetti monster, whatever they believe in, <laughs> you know, they have that, <laughs> they have that okay. comfort knowing that they're always going to be taken care of. I call, I call it the space and fairy. I call it <laughs> the space what? fairy. I like that. <laughs> I might then, start using that one. The the uh, the the flying spaghetti monster. Believe it or not. Sorry, going off on a little tangent here and interrupting you. Flying spaghetti monster is actually <laughs> a religion that was started in satire. Yeah. It was started in satire, and people actually took hold with it and ran with it. And I think it's the most amazing like little social experiment that went wrong so, <laughs> what is the spaghetti flying spaghetti because i've never heard of it you know so can just, you fill me in please <laughs> just look it up but just know that there's there's entire like there's an entire um edm song about the flying spaghetti monster <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's it's amazing. It's it's so stupid, but it was like a little social experiment where they're like, "Well, we're gonna start a religion, and <clears throat> we're gonna name it the Flying Spaghetti the Religion of the Flying Spaghetti Monster," and then people actually started running with it. <laughs> yeah, I think they're called Pastafarians. Yep, Pastafarians. Hmm. Yeah, and it's actually, um, I, I think, you can actually wear a colander on your head if you're a follower of this religion. Like, you're, you're legally allowed to wear the colander in spaces where you're not allowed to wear, like, head hats and stuff. Yeah, but anyway. No, it's, it's, it's beautiful. <laughs> they have a Bible now. There's a Bible. It says yep. Flying Spaghetti Monster Bible. Yep, no, oh. I'm not I'm not joking with you. It was a whole social experiment that just went wrong. It was the beautiful. Flying Spaghetti Monster is the deity of the Church of Flying Spaghetti Monster or Pastafarian, a social movement that promotes a light-hearted view of religion. It originated in opposition to teaching of intelligence designed in public schools. That is what Google says about it. <laughs> okay. Good to know. Uh (laughs) yeah um as far as like spirituality goes though i mean i i think that spirituality is more of an individual way of addressing how you approach the aspects of life that are not necessarily 
definable. So like fairies and stuff. The fae. You might have a religion that believes that the fairies are there and that, you know, you have a certain power. And the religious aspect of it is that there's a group of people coming together to pray to them or worship them and talk about them and, you know, believe in that power. But then on a spiritual level, you have your own communion or um, relationship with the fairies or, um, you know, your, your own ways of working with them that promote your own like longevity like uh like your your well-being not longevity your well-being or your lack you know of working where, with them yes you know exactly <laughs> where i was going with the star the fae and i personally know they are so personally believe and i know star does too they are so mischievous they steal your things and <laughs> There, there, no, I will put all of the iron around my house to ward off the fae. And also, um, no. Is it, am I, am I thinking of the fae when I say red hats? Is it the fae or is it um, gnomes? I want to say gnomes. It was gnomes. Okay. Either way, the fae and gnomes are terrifying. So. It also depends on what um, pantheon you choose to put yourself into because in Norse mythology gnomes are actually good things and signs of good luck so it really kind of depends on again what she was saying where where you put your spirituality into it oh yeah absolutely absolutely mm -hmm. just like I'm sure that there's a pantheon that you know worships the fae as she was saying I don't want any part of that one, though, personally. No, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. I, so, what, I mean, what, what for you is the distinction between, like, spirituality and religion? Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, spirituality, I believe, is more of, like, believing in the spirit world believing in you know when i okay so when i think of spirituality i think of mother earth i think of nature i think of every living thing or everything like rocks have energy plants have spirits and energy you know i that's what i think of i think of every living thing having you know a spirit having energy that, that gives off also think of um ghosts kind of <laughs> in a way um mm -hmm. and then when i think of religion i think of you know what are the entities that i worship what are the entities that i pray to and give offerings to um and and give my thanks to that's kind of my distinct difference <laughs> with it what about you star um, so for me, spirituality is more of the um, connection that you have with the things that happen around you. So like she said, ghosts, it's the, for me, it's not the actual thing itself. It's the connection with those things. Whereas mm -hmm. religion is the attempt to organize that connection. Ooh. 
Yeah, I think that's a really good way of putting it. And I have to agree with you. Like, that's, that's how I view it. And I think that um, spirituality can just be more free form because of that. And you can even have, like, you can be religious and have a distinct difference in your spirituality as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so going off of that, then my question to you two is, is where, where do you go to connect to that? The like, woods. Is, is there a specific, so, yeah, is there a specific place for you, yes. like a specific woods, a specific like clearing in said woods, etc.? So if I can't access the woods, it's right here, you know, like right here, because, um, and for those of you who can't see in the podcast, she quite literally has like 50,000 plants sitting behind my, her right now. My husband says that um, I'm growing a jungle and his mom says that I have a jungle. <laughs> so um, if I'm not able to go to the woods or, you know, go outside and just trails and nature, I will sit right here in in my computer chair around my plants and that that's my haven you know that's where i go Mm -hmm. um for me it's anywhere outside that i cannot see civilization from which it's it's pretty easy for me to get to those places where i've been living Um, there's always woods somewhere or a lake or a creek. And sometimes you might still be able to hear like a road or the city, but like you can still be completely surrounded by plants and animals. And, um, man, if I'm just, if I'm feeling disconnected from myself or, you know, just too overwhelmed by the grind, I go into the woods. It's really nice to connect with the green man once um, you're able to. Um, The green man, um, for those that don't know, is the seer and the watcher and the protector of all of the woods, the forests, and um, yeah, it's I've I've been able to actually have a conversation with the green man um, before. It was very frightening because he's a very um, intimidating imposing and intimidating um being however it was blissful at the same time for me i Hmm. think having that ability from where i live in you know washington state so it's quite easy for me to go walk around in the woods but um (laughs) for me it's just to go across the street I've got a humongous river, like literally across from my apartment complex. So I just get to go sit on the bench and sit with the river in front of me, or I go put my feet in it, or mm. just kind of ground Lovely. myself that way. Or if I can't get to it because it's raining or something, I'll go sit out in the rain, or I'll go sit in my shower. Water, mm. water is my big thing, though. I'm I'm very very connected to the water. Mm-hmm. I know that because the sheer look of enjoyment and happy pure happy like I saw the happy colors emanating off of you when I took you to the beach so (laughs) I do know that for a fact (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I went and took a small vacation over at Candy's house, and um, she took me out to first landing and went out on the beach, and just that was my happy place. It was. Mm-hmm. It, it, it was seeing Star in her natural element and seeing joy that I hadn't seen on her face in a very long time. That was a needed yeah. one. Yeah, the ocean is amazing. Um, mm. There aren't enough words to describe how amazing the ocean is. No, there aren't. It's it's got (laughs) such, it's teeming with life and, like, the most beautiful of energies and, like, the healing that can just come from putting yourself into the water is phenomenal and then the beach itself being like nature's gigantic pumice stone is what I like to call it you walk across I, it it cleans everything it's just I amazing. just thought of something um it's totally off topic but when I send you the plants I wanted to send you in a little jar some of the Atlantic Ocean water because Ooh. I'm pretty sure I can ship that um in the mail How so because I do know that you weren't able to take any home and you wanted to. So I can do that. And I can also send you some of the dismal swamp water if you want as well. Oh, yes, please. <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> I can do that. Mm. Oh, what's your next question? Hit me. Hit me with the best shot. <laughs> I actually, I'm I'm out of questions. I mean, I'm oh. just like. I'm I'm enjoying this little discussion <laughs> that we're getting into with the, you know, our ideas on what spirituality actually is. It's it's oh, nice. It's kind of refreshing refreshing not to have to go into a huge conversation about whether or not the space fairy up there is like, you know, an actual <laughs> thing or if he killed his son. You know, or it, it, for me, for me, I think, and I didn't get to answer this question, but for me, the biggest deciding factor on moving from my actual religion of origin that I was raised with and into something that's a little less mainstream was that I was watching countless good, amazing people who had wonderful hearts and who had, like, all of the morals and were devout in their religions and were trying to do everything that they thought was right in the world, die. And I could not come to terms with there being one deity that was in charge of everything and was allowing the the people that he specifically wanted in our world to die in the ways that they were dying i could not terms with this this thing that was supposed to be all loving and have unconditional love for his beings that he created but created the devil and created evil and created you know and again, this is going based off of the religion that I was in. 
created all of the diseases and the horrible, horrible things and allowed these things to happen to the things that he supposedly unconditionally loved. And that's where my whole thing was, is that I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with it. I was like, I can't agree with a God who's going to, you know, allow me to be raped at 12 years old. I, I can't I can't get to I can't get with that that <laughs> that's not cool to me because then to me yes, that's not an unconditional love yes. yeah yeah that was a big um hurdle for me to come to terms with also was like why why do the good people seem to get the short end of the stick how can someone or something that claims to love all of us and and to teach us to love one another also allow the horrific mistreatment that comes from, you know, the greed and desire for power and just like brokenness. How can that really be a thing? To me now it makes more sense that nature is like the ultimate overseer, so to speak, because nature doesn't, pick favorites. Nature does what nature is going to do. And when it's time for this thing to go away, it's going to go away. And yep, when it's absolutely. time to, you know, fall to our demons, so to speak, then that's, that's in our nature. Um, you know, there's, there's a collective poisoning, I think, because you, it's a collective poisoning from organized religion, which I wouldn't usually say that because it is pretty antagonistic, but I think that so many people can hide behind the idea of being forgiven by Sky Daddy, by Space Fairy, <laughs> and so they can just do whatever they want, you know? It doesn't, in the moment, they're following their nature, and then instead of feeling remorse and feeling empathy for what they've just done, they rationalize it and they say, you know, sometimes they might pray and just say, please forgive me for doing this. And then they're fine. You know, they get to move on. And I'm not saying that a lot of people do that. And I, I do think that religion can be um, guidance to not making those excuses for some people. But I also think that that comes down to nature as well. If you're inclined to forgive yourself when you've made a mistake and, and excuse your behavior without being responsible for it, that's your nature. Just like you were saying earlier, you know, you're so different from your family. You didn't learn to be empathetic and morally correct because of your family. Within your nature, to recognize that you didn't want to feel the way that you were being made to feel. And even though religion can facilitate those teachings and impart that knowledge to people, it still comes down to us to be responsible for acting on that. I think I completely agree with you. Um, organized religion is one of those scapegoats that they've created so that they don't have to feel that sense of responsibility. Yeah. I agree. I absolutely agree. 
Because I feel like it's a catch-all. Oh, well, my religion, this is okay. My religion, you know, like, I don't, I don't know. I, I just wish organized religion would just go away and everybody would just start being good to each other. (laughs) (laughs) I do too. I 100% do too. And you know, the funny thing is when we talk about organized religion or, you know, taboo religions or paganism, there's not a pagan person that I have met that is as mean as somebody who is, I hate to say it, a Christian. Because you mm-hmm. run across a pagan person and you uh, say you're a pagan person or, you know, somebody else is a pagan person. Say you're a pagan person and I'm a Christian and you ask me what my religion is and I tell you I'm a Christian. Most of the time you're going to be like, oh, okay, that's cool. Never once have I ever heard of a pagan person or somebody that is, you know, not practicing a mainstream religion, push their religion onto somebody else or say that they were going to hell or that they were worshiping the devil or anything like that. It is mostly mainstream religions that will tell you, and I have firsthand experience, you know, um, I don't hide too much of the fact that I, I'm pagan i don't hide too much of the fact that i practice witchcraft and i've had people come up to me and tell me that i was going to hell and that i was a devil worshiper and you know all of this and that and the other that is completely inaccurate (laughs) my favorites when they're like oh you're a devil worshiper and i'm like no actually me and the fae don't get along too well i tend to keep them out of my house (laughs) Unless you have a 15-year-old daughter who attracts the fae. <laughs> oh, my good Lord. Don't even. I, no, we're not going to go into that. I've got so much iron around my house. It's stupid. But I, I also love when I explain to people that, you know, I practice witchcraft and that I am a polytheistic pagan. And they take a step back. And my Mm -hmm. favorite thing to do when they take a step back, and this is when I'm in a one-on-one physical interaction with people, is I'll lift up my arm and start sniffing my armpit. I'm like, do I smell? Like, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to hurt you. Why are you backing away? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to like rub my juju all over you. Like, you go about your business doing what you're doing and believe what you believe. And I'm going to go about my business and mind my own shit and do what I'm going to do and believe what I believe. Mm -hmm. I honestly think that most of the dislike or disdain for, you know, paganism or not so um, mostly taboo, not well-known, um, not mainstream religions is the unknowing, is that they don't take the yeah. time to know or research. And, you know, I've done a bunch of research um, with how witches and people that um, practice witchcraft or even accused of witchcraft were treated. And mostly um, it was they it was lack of knowledge that you know the other mainstream religions had they feared these people because they didn't know them and i've had um a similar um something similar happened to me at one of my last duty stations that i was at um my chief um well i'll just say my boss um for those that don't understand um he pulled me of this 
pulled me to the side and he asked me if I was gothic. And I said, <laughs> what? And I mean, this is serious. And I was, I was like, what are you talking about, chief? And he says, yeah, are you gothic? You know, like you worship the devil and stuff. And I started chuckling and I said, I'm pagan if that's what you're asking and I practice witchcraft and you know he did take a step back from me and he was like please don't do any hoodoo jinxes hexes on me or whatever and it was because he didn't have an understanding of that religion that he was like please don't do this to me I'm not gonna fuck you over just don't hex me or anything like that he didn't understand it so he didn't know yeah, I, I, I really, that's something that I was going to mention was like the fear aspect. And I think that people who are following mainstream religion, the ones that are saying you're going to hell and, um, you know, just being mean and hateful, I think that a lot of that is born out of fear. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't say that I... Like, at one point, I did believe that organized religion should be completely abolished. Um, But with the people that I've known in organized religion that I choose to have in my life, who I have loved very much, they, I believe that they needed organized religion because for whatever reason, it's just what resonated with their psychology and with their emotional needs. The church that they found were full of people that could support them and these are people also coming from you know highly abusive lives um that are finding the the strength to have a normal life and be a functioning member of society because of their organized religion and also kind of tying back into like the knowledge of medicine, you know, if we empower ourselves through learning um, and exploring, then not only are we more well-rounded, but it also helps us to treat each other better. And with, with religion or spirituality, you know, when people act out of hate and fear, I tend to, you know, say like, I I really hope that you can find peace in how you're feeling right now. It must feel so terrible to, to have those thoughts and feelings toward me. And then, you know, I remove myself from that situation because obviously I don't want to take any of that on. Um, But it also saying that, like giving that kind of empathy back to someone in a way kind of insulates me as well and gives me a little more protection. I mean, I have, I don't have the thickest skin, but I can be pretty thick skin. And um, I just find that giving empathy back to people when they're trying to throw hate at you is the best armor that, that you can really put on. Right. Yes, absolutely. I'm not, I'm not laughing at you. I promise. Um, I don't know if you can see, um <laughs> he's got a snake my... that's trying to crawl in her titty. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, uh, 
this is interesting. I'm, I'm sure it tickles too. It does. <laughs> it very well does. She's anchored pretty good though. Um, I think I have to agree with you. I think uh, a lot of a lot of people's animosity and aggression towards things that are and when I say organized religion I'm not just talking Christianity I'm also talking Muslim Judaism um you know basically any of the larger religions that have put themselves into power essentially is what they're doing they're putting themselves into power so that they can try and control as much as they want when I that's what I mean when I'm talking organized religion I'm not just talking Christianity at all um but I think that I completely just lost my train of thought and <laughs> <laughs> I am now trying to put it back together. That, um, that has happened to me like twice in this conversation. <laughs> what were we just talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Like fear being yes, the fuel for you. hate. Thank you. I think that a lot of these organized religions are using that fear in, um, in order to keep their their um, people, their their sheep, their flock, as Christians would like to say, in order to keep them in check, and to be able to put themselves into power and put themselves into a better situation monetarily and to do the things that they want to do. But again, that's not part of the religion. That's part of their nature as a human. It's yeah. Just, yeah. Unfortunately, the not so savory people are the ones that are being allowed to be in charge because people are scared. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, just look at Roe versus Wade. Yep. That is the product of exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> Just extreme lack of understanding and rationalization and probably some pretty hefty political lobbying. You know, we got to recognize that as well. There is definitely money behind that that bill being removed or uh, what do you call it? It's being uh, reversed, I guess. Yeah, I uh, I brought up a really good point to my my partner in that by them taking and reversing Roe versus Wade and then taking away our ability to have contraceptives, essentially what they're doing is making it so that women are now becoming a breeding machine for their military and yes. increasing their value. <laughs> And increasing their money and increasing their their slaves, essentially, is what we are. Yeah, absolutely. And then I don't think, I also think that it is a form, not just what you said, Star, because I do agree with you, but I also believe that it is a form of um, population control in mm -hmm. a way because if you take away contraceptives, if you take away um even DNCs, which are dilation and suction, which if you get one, have to have one done, it is called an abortion. If you take these rights away, then you have a person that get 
gets pregnant and she has an atopic pregnancy, one, that pregnancy is not viable. So if you miscarry in some states, now I know that it is state dependent. Each state can make their own rules, but some states have already said, no, nothing at all. Do not miscarry. Do not, you know, that's, you can serve time for that or that, that pregnancy, you have to live, deal with it. That will kill the mother as well, because you cannot have a fetus or a baby growing inside of your tube. I just, or, you know, that the child, or say you have a child and you find out at your 20-week appointment that there's something genetically wrong with that child and it will not make it, you know. Now, some people had the option to terminate then. Now you take that right away. You're forcing a, a family to go through a loss of she has to carry that baby to term and then birth it and then watch her child die. Mm -hmm. What kind of damage do yeah. that do emotionally, mentally? For the entire family. And then, I mean, not even discussing the financial hardship of that as well. Um, there are just so many aspects to this topic that these the people who made the decision to reverse this obviously are so disconnected from reality. They, they obviously have never had to experience the kind of hardship that comes from having children and not having enough money to have children. Or yeah, even just having or, one child costs yeah. thousands of dollars. Yep. You know, and that's another thing. So you're going to force all these parents to have, you know, go through with a pregnancy. Okay, that's fine. And, I mean, some can argue that, well, there's adoption, which is very true. But how often do those children end up in the, the system? Or you have parents that they can't produce any milk for the child, so you have to rely on formula. Well, guess what? There's a formula shortage. Now what do you do? Yeah. Yeah, many, I mean, that's like the adoption thing that you just mentioned. So many children just age out of foster care. Like, they don't ever end up being adopted. And so they're, they're adults entering the world with no basis for setting boundaries, for emotional um, acuity, for, you know, even, I mean, even now with families, kids are moving out and have no idea how to, like, do a budget. But then you take these children who have never had a solid foundation for a family life, and what are they supposed to do? A lot of them end up homeless initially, or they end up in gangs, or they end, I mean, there's just a slew of places that they're going to go that are not necessarily going to make them active members in, in society, you know, in a way that uplifts us all. Mm -hmm. Well, it's just a, and it a puts, way to keep the poor poor. Yep. Well, the yeah, and then that puts a strain. Yeah, and there's already a strain on our, like, healthcare system, like the, the state healthcare and um, food stamps and that sort of thing. When you're adding these other children to that, it's just, it's a huge mess, and they, I don't know how these people can justify their decision unless they're just making a shitload of money 
off of the decision. That's the only thing that I can fathom would be the reason why. I think my biggest fear is that we're going to end up with, you know, bathroom abortions. Mm -hmm. And we're going to end up with back alley abortions and things that are going to happen because women are still going to get them. People are going to do what people are going to do. Just because somebody made a decision that it's now going to be illegal doesn't mean a damn thing. People are still going to do it. But yep. it's going to put an even bigger strain onto our health care and our health system because we're going to have all these women who are doing things un unhealthy unhealthy ways and then they're going to be going into the hospitals and needing aftercare because you know they're doing things with a rusty ass coat, coat hanger and now they got freaking lockjaw <laughs> like, mm -hmm. yeah 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 and I'm I can't say that I'm necessarily afraid um I mean, it is definitely like a nerve-wracking, upsetting, disappointing, anger-inducing, no, rage-inducing decision. And I will not say exactly how I have felt about it because it's very, <laughs> very um, not friendly. But in um, part of uh, what I studied when I went to college was biological anthropology and that follows like social evolution. And when you're looking at, you know, 100, 200, 300 year periods of um, societies, you see that things kind of go back and forth. When, when there's real change happening, the changes happen and then they take three steps back. And then the changes happen again a little bit differently, you know, 50 or 100 years later. And then we take three steps back again 50 or 100 years later. And, and there's just kind of that back and forth for a while until we get to a resting point with that particular topic or, or function or whatever. So it gives it, I mean, I'm still not completely lost on hope is what I'm getting at, even though right now it's, you know, this could change the progress that we've made with um, same-sex marriage and just like being allowed to be openly gay and knowing that people who try to, to hurt you for it can be, you know, legally prosecuted. That kind of stuff can take steps back also now. You know, when you start attacking the, the rights of someone's health choices and, and invading into someone's medical choices that can bleed over into so many different areas. Yep. And that is, you know, in the moment, a very dire prospect to face. And I keep asking myself, what can I do to kind of affect this? Like, uh, when Obama was in office, I did not vote for Obama. I had just turned 18, um, I think, for his first term. And I didn't vote. And uh, I, I ended up liking his, um, his term. I really liked him as a president. And I really liked Joe Biden as his vice president. Um, and I felt just good about those things. And when it came time 
before the next race where it was between Hillary and Trump, I really didn't like Hillary Clinton. And again, I did not vote because I didn't think that someone like Trump could win. When he won, I had just had, or I was like a month away from giving birth to my daughter. And I cried that day. I just couldn't believe it that, that we could appoint a television celebrity. It was like idiocracy was happening in real life. Have you guys seen that movie? Um, yeah, I, I'm still waiting for the day that they're going to tell us we have to start watering our fields with Gatorade. (laughs) It's what plants crave. But, um, (laughs) once that happened, it really, like, I really started to, to double down and think like me being upset at our political system and being upset because there are no candidates out there that really embody what I would like to see supported is not a good enough reason for and it doesn't like it doesn't make me feel good at the end of the day that I'm just complaining about things not going my way instead of working with what I've got so I did vote um in the next in the last election for the first time I actually voted and I well so I had voted for Bernie when it was um when it was like the primaries to see who would be the democratic choice when it was Hillary versus Trump Um, but he didn't get on the ballot. So I just didn't want to vote. Like Bernie was my guy. If I couldn't vote for Bernie, I wasn't going to vote. And I wish that I, that I had voted in retrospect. But so like when it came time to vote again, I went out there and I voted and I started looking at my state representatives and looking at, um, you know, local elections and stuff. And I realized that it was really hard to find any information about, the candidates in local elections, you were lucky if they had their own website. Most of the time in local like county elections and even like in in some state elections, the candidates have like a tiny profile picture on a web page with other candidates and it says like what district they're in and what their affiliation, their party affiliation is. And then that's about it. You don't get to know what they support, what their platform is. And it's hard to find that stuff online, partly, I think, because a lot of these people that are running for offices are old as fuck (laughs) and really have no business running our country at this point because they come from a time that where we hadn't even really begun to address like climate change in a real way. And then when they were children or teenagers there was a a big discussion about renewable energy that was completely squashed in the 70s -hmm. and then they just kind of like rode off of the uh scuffles in the middle east Mm -hmm. for the next you know 20 years into their adulthood and had children and just have been able to pretend this whole time like life is just going to keep going like it was when they were kids. The the disconnect from reality is so palpable. And it's realizing that stuff made me realize that it is important to go and vote, even if it's not going to make exactly the difference that I would like to see as quickly as I would like to see. 
if I'm voting and my friends see that I'm voting and my coworkers see that I'm voting and my kids see that I'm voting and I'm talking about why I'm voting and not just like polarizing other people and making people feel bad for their political affiliations, but actually saying like, these are the things that I want to see and these are the people that believe in those things also or believe in this one thing, even if they don't believe in everything that I believe in, making those little steps and being knowledgeable about what is happening empowers me. Knowledge is power. If we are just complaining about politics and not doing anything to contribute to it and we don't understand what's happening, of course this is going to happen. Of course. And that's why it has happened because I think probably in the 80s, you know, they were still teaching like political science in high school and you had debate classes and you had economics and you learned how to balance a checkbook. None of that shit was was in my education, in my public school education. None of it. I couldn't even tell you now the difference between the judicial and like all the different, like there's three different branches. I don't know what they all are. I know there's judicial. I know there's executive and the president is in the executive. I don't know anything else. Well, ladies, I need to cut this short. However, um, I have to get going. It is three o'clock here and I have to get my son up and then start dinner. Um, so I gotta um, get going. Yep. I think, I think we're at a, a good stopping point for, for this discussion i definitely do want to have the both of you back again so um if you both would like to get with lily and yeah, of course we'll continue Ooh. our little conversation here because i think there's also the need to address um the mainstream religions being put into our political society so that is definitely yeah. <laughs> something we need to address but absolutely um, I really do appreciate both of you taking the time out to come and hang out with me and have these deep, meaningful discussions. And I am very thankful to be here, and I'm very thankful for you to have me, and I would love to be back. Absolutely. You just say when and where, and I'll be there. <laughs> well, Miss Lily is our scheduler, so yep. we'll, uh, I'll, get, I'll, I'll contact her. Yep. We'll let her do her thing. <laughs> All right. But it awesome. was yeah, it was really great to listen to you guys and talk to you and, you know, kind of meet you. And thanks for um, letting me be a part of this. Absolutely. I had a wonderful time speaking with both of you. So we will uh, we'll definitely have to do this again. And I think that's the end of it for today. So thank you very much. And I'll see you guys at another point. All right. All right. See ya. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That concludes this episode of the podcast yet to be named. We hope you enjoyed this as much as we did. If you're interested in being on the show or know someone who is, look for the project manager in the description below and send us over an email and we will be in touch with you. Also, don't forget to follow Poshfad at twitch.tv backslash P-O-C-H-F-A-D. Thank you so much and have a wonderful day. Boom.